0: the book of hebrews let's go father we just thank you for uh revealing your word to us and and uh just the great truths that are in here in the book of hebrews about jesus christ and just who he is and lord as you give us these truths you also have intermingled five very serious warnings about not playing paying close heed to to what you're teaching us and so Lord, I ask today that, uh, Lord, we live in a world full of warnings. And I ask today, Lord, that uh, uh, we, we pay really close heed to what you have to teach us. And Lord, that we understand, uh, come to an understanding of what these warnings mean to us if we're saved and what they mean to us if we're not saved. And so, Lord, I, I just ask for you to give us clarity in this area. Uh, uh, we can only have that by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray, amen. Okay, if you've got your bulletins, look in your bulletin and look down at the artwork that David did. And I want to see if anybody in here recognizes, you see, warning, warning, the title. I was going to say, you tell your age if you, if you, Rhonda right away came up with it. I never, I, I, I didn't know who this was. David put it on here. I'd never seen this in my life. <laughs> I'm way too young for, for uh, B-9. Yeah, isn't that his name, B-9? This is the robot in uh, uh, Lost in Space. And he didn't say much, but he could say, warning, warning, danger, danger. I mean, any kind of trouble they got into, he would, he would, uh, he would spout it out. I mean, he had one little blinking red light. I mean, it was really cheesy back then, but, but uh, he made his point, point. and he makes a point for us. I mean, we live in a world uh, where we're constantly warned of danger. You know, one of the great things that I look forward to in heaven, you know, there'll be no warning signs in heaven. There'll be no speed limit signs in heaven. I can ride my Harley as fast as I want to, because I can't die. Amen. You know, they can't kill me. So, no, actually, I don't think Harley's going to be there, but... But uh, there won't be any warning signs. But we need warning signs. We need warning lights. I mean, uh, last year, Nathan, when he was heading, I can pick on Nathan, he's not here today, but last year when he was heading to the Texas Winter League, I decided to ride with him as far as Houston, and then he was going on to San Antonio, and and I was going to ride back with Brenda. And we got about to Beaumont, Texas, and I looked up on the dashboard, and the engine light was on, and it was flashing. And I said, Nathan, we got to pull over. I said, the engine light is flashing. He said, don't worry about that, Dad. It's been doing that for a couple of months. <laughs> I said, Nathan, that light's been flashing for a couple of months, and you're just now, I'm just now seeing it, and you're just now telling me we shouldn't we even be taking this car. So we pulled over, and I checked all the fluids and everything, and it seemed that everything was working. And uh, I told him, as soon as you get to San Antonio, you take that thing to the Toyota place, and and uh, you you find out what's wrong with it, and, and sure enough, it was, the steering was about to go out, and it was about a twenty-five hundred dollar fix. Well, he got a contract in Texas, and he went. to, I'll make the story short. He went to Texas, and then he went to got traded to Arizona, and then he went up to northern New Mexico, and he took his Jeep, and we went out to see him and ride. He, had a, he has an older Jeep, and so we wanted to ride back with him, make sure he was safe. And and when we got to Alamogordo, New Mexico, I took the I was on the motorcycle, but I wanted to go to Walmart. So I took the cheap Jeep, Jeep to Walmart's and I noticed the engine light was on. And I pulled over and I checked the oil and there was no oil showing on the dipstick. And so I pulled into Walmart, I checked, he was three quarts, three and a half quarts short of oil. I think I think it would hold about four, a little over four quarts. He, was, he had almost burnt that engine up. And so when I got back to the hotel, I said, Nathan, Man, did you not see that warning light? He said, yeah, I saw it, but it wasn't blinking. I said, you realize just you were a few hundred miles away from burning up the engine on your Jeep? And I said, I said man, you've got to pay attention to warning lights. Well, the Bible has lots of warning lights, too, that God wants us to pay attention to. In the book of Hebrews, now, let, me, let me back up a minute. I mean, think about some of the, the, the warnings that we find in the Bible. I mean, there are all sorts of warnings there that cry out, danger, danger, warning, warning. I mean, we're warned about, the, about sin and death, aren't we? The wages of sin is what? It's death. We're in Romans 6.33. Uh, in Ezekiel 18.20, we're told that the soul that sinneth shall die. Uh, we're warned about being prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Over in 2 Peter chapter 3.10, it says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Uh, there's, there's warnings about hell, about everlasting punishment. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, it says that those who, who, deny, who reject the gospel will be punished with everlasting destruction. The Bible warns us about false teachers and false prophets. Uh, uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, 2 Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers uh, We're warned against hypocrisy and pride We're told in Proverbs that pride goeth before destruction A hardy spirit before a fall uh, We're warned against the dangers of Satan We're told that Satan is a roaring lion seeking those whom he, Roaming about seeking those whom he may devour So there's all sorts of warnings in the Bible but I, I, let me tell you, I think the most serious warnings in the Bible, the ones that scare me the most, are found in the book of Hebrews. There are, very, there are five very stern warnings given there, and we're going to be looking at one of those today in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4, the first of the warnings. Then in chapter 3, we'll get, then that warning's against drifting. In chapter 3, we'll get a warning against not entering God's rest. Uh, In chapter 5, we'll get a warning against apostasy, falling into apostasy. In chapter 10, we'll get a warning against trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 12, uh, we'll get uh, a warning of the hazards of falling short of the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that God wanted these warnings in the Bible and at this particular place in the Bible, to scare the dickens out of someone. And who was he trying to scare the dickens out of? I mean, some theologians, in fact, a lot of theologians believe that these warnings are placed here for believers. Believers who lose their salvation. It's a warning that, hey, if you're not careful, if you don't take heed to these things, then you're going to lose your salvation. And so, it seems like they might say that. But if you put them in their context, they say nothing of the sort. So I don't think that's what uh, these warnings are about. I think that's, that, that's not who the Lord is speaking to there. He's, speaking, he's trying to scare those who say they're Christians, but who are really not Christians. He's write, who was he writing to? If you remember when we did our introduction on the book, he was writing to Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians who, who called themselves Christians, at least we'll say that, and they were drifting back into legalism. They were drifting back into the sacrificial system, and, and they had failed to rest in Christ. They really never had trusted him, and so they had fallen from grace, and, they, and in doing so, they were trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and as Paul says in Galatians, if, if you add works to grace, then, then it, from your standpoint... Christ has died in vain. And so, so he's going to warn these so-called Christians. They hadn't lost their salvation. They never had salvation. Now, that's, we're going to get five warnings. We started out in the first part of chapter 1 of Hebrews. And God gave us some of the greatest truths in the Bible about Jesus Christ. I mean, if you, if you weren't here and you, you haven't grasped, I mean, just read them. Just read these truths about Jesus Christ and who he is. And then we're going to get a warning. And then we're going to told, be told some more great truths about Jesus Christ. And then we're going to get a warning again. And then we're going to be told some more gr- great truths about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then we're going to get a warning again. And then we're going to be told about some more great truths about what Jesus has done for us. And then we're going to get a warning again, and so on and so on. And so what's the author trying to do? He's trying to make sure that we understand what Christ has done for us and that we rely totally on the work of Christ and not on our own works. Paul gives a similar warning, one that kind of sums up all these warnings, over in Philippians chapter 2. Turn there with me for a minute. Go back up few books to the book of Philippians, and go, go to chapter 2, and look at verse, thir- t- verse 12. Go to chapter 2 and look at verse 12. The last part of verse 12. Listen, listen to that last phrase in the last part of verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a pretty scary warning right there, isn't it? He's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says to them, so-called believers, believers, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what is he saying there? Is he saying that make sure that you're keeping the law and you're doing good and so that, you, so that uh, you're sure you're saved? Is that's what he's saying there? At, no, he's not saying that at all because you, you know from the context, look at what he adds to that in the next verse. And, and I, would, I would have had that in verse 12 if I was dividing this up. But he says, for it is God who... Works in you. In other words, work out your salvation with fear and trembling to make sure that you understand that you can't save yourself. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. It's God who saves you. You can't save yourself, you can't keep yourself saved. It's God who saves you and keeps you saved. You remember when the Jews came to Jesus in John chapter 6. And they asked Jesus, in fact, turn there. Go to John chapter 6. Let me see if I can find the reference. I think if you look at it, you'll probably come closer to catching it. Go to John, the Gospel of John, and look in chapter 6. And look what the Jews said to him in verse 28. And they said to him, What shall we do that we may do the... That we may work and watch this the works plural of God what were they what were they asking Jesus Lord what do we need to do what works do we need to do in order to save ourselves what do we need to do and Jesus answered and said to them this is the work this is the work of God your salvation is the work of God it's not your own work this is the work of God that you believe on him who sent me that you believe in in him who sent me you believe in jesus christ that's the work of god not works it's our trust in jesus christ that saves us and when we try to add to that work when we try to add to the work of god that he did through jesus christ then as far as we're concerned we're trampling on the blood of jesus christ and christ's death on our part is in vain, because it can do us no good if we're trying to add to his work. So, see, back to Hebrews, what I believe the author of Hebrews was doing in these warnings that he gave us, and certainly God was speaking through him, was that what he was saying, make sure that you're truly born again. Make sure that you have put all your trust in Jesus Christ, because that's the only way you can be saved. You know... I've had people tell me on occasion that, hey, you, you, you shouldn't warn people or you shouldn't question people's salvation. When I go to baptize somebody, for example, I want to make sure that they're saved. And people say, well, if they make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, if they believe the facts about Jesus Christ, if they get baptized, then they're saved. Does, does, is that what saves you? That's not what, you've got to have more than that. I mean, if they, I I led them through the sinner's prayer, and so they they need to be saved. And and I believe Jesus existed. I believe he died on a cross, and so, you know, they're saved. And I've been told that, you know, on occasion that, hey, it's the devil that makes people want to doubt their salvation. You shouldn't make people want to doubt their salvation. I guess maybe the person's calling me a devil when they say that. I give them credit for this much: the devil does want believers to doubt their salvation. But you know what? If he's got somebody who's in church who calls himself a Christian and they're lost as a goose, he doesn't want them to doubt their salvation. He wants them to go right on believing like they believe. And end up in hell. That's what, if, he, if he's fooled them into thinking they're saved and they're not really saved, then where are they going to end up? They're going to end up in hell. And so, so there's a real danger here and there's a balance here. I mean, and that's why we, it certainly wasn't the devil that put these five warnings in, in the book of Hebrews here. It wasn't the devil who put that warning in Philippians 2 that we just looked at for you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, it's God who puts those warnings in there, and he wants us to be sure to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and be sure that we're saved. And if he's got to scare us to get us to that point, if we're not saved, then he's going to scare us. You know, my personal opinion, I I hate to say this, and I'm I'm not speaking so much of Calvary Chapel as I am of the church in general. My personal opinion about much of the church is uh, that there's a lot of people in that very boat. They call themselves Christians, but they're not really saved. They're not really born again. They're still trying to live for the world, or they're still living under law. You know, and the reason I'm so adamant about making sure that all y'all are saved is because I was duped myself for the first 40 years of my life, thinking I had salvation, at least for the first 20 I mean, I went to church more than any of you guys go to church when I was a little kid. Man, I went to a church. I I was in a family, a strong Christian family, and my dad, man, when those church doors were open, we were there. He believed you went on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and anything else they had going on, you were at the church. And I was baptized when I was 13, and I knew that Jesus, I knew that he was a historical figure who died on a cross. I believed that. I believed in Jesus. But I was lost. Man, I was not born again. I thought, you know, I was a Boy Scout or a Cub Scout, and I had my little badge, and, and, and every day, you know, I'd turn it over. You couldn't turn it up until you'd done a good deed. And I managed somehow every day to do at least one good deed. And I figured, you know, I was doing enough good deeds in my life to make up for the bad deeds until I got to be about uh, 25 and on up to about 40. And then, man, I really went deep in a hole then because... I did a lot more bad than I did good but that has nothing to do with salvation being saved or not being saved baptism has nothing to do with salvation being saved or not being saved you must be born again you must be born again that's the only way you can be saved you remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night why did he come to him at night because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. I mean, Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel. He was like the greatest celebrity teacher there was, a preacher and all. He was like the Billy Graham of his day. And, 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 and Jesus was sort of this radical rebel. So he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. And so he comes to him at night, and, 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 you know, he had seen the works that Jesus was doing, and he said, man, this guy's got to be from God. And so he comes to him at night, and and, uh, he says to him, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. In other words, Jesus, you know, I'm the teacher of Israel, and I'm going to give you credit. You're a pretty cool dude. I mean, you're doing some really cool things. You must be from God. Let's be buddies. You know what Jesus did to the teacher of Israel? You know what he did? He just cut him right off. He cut him right off in the middle of his conversation. And you know what Jesus said to him? He said, most assuredly I say to you, unless you are born again, Nicodemus, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. You know what he told Nicodemus? You're lost as a goose. You're the greatest teacher in all of Israel and you're lost as a goose. Warning, warning. Pay attention, Nicodemus. Unless you're born again, unless you get born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. I mean, whoa, Jesus, that's kind of severe. You're making Nicodemus doubt his salvation. That's exactly what he was doing. He was making him doubt his salvation. He wanted him doubt his salvation because he didn't have salvation. Friends, if you're not born again, and let me tell you something, if you're born again, you know you're born again. But if you're not, if, if, you don't, if you're born again and you don't know you're born again, you're not born again. It's as simple as that. Because when you get born again, everything changes. The old things become new. The old man has passed away. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. And you know that. And if you don't know that, you're not born again. Now, am I trying to scare you? Yes. If you're not born again, you better believe I'm trying to scare you. Because the devil has you duped. And I don't want to see you waste 40 years of your life like
1: I did, wasted 40 years of mine. I don't want to see you end up in hell. You must be born again. We can't
0: add anything to the work of Jesus Christ. And if we try to add works righteousness or the sacrificial system or feast or keeping the Sabbath or any of that kind of stuff, to what Jesus Christ has
1: done for us, we nullify the work of Jesus Christ in our life. We're not born again. You know, if you're born again, like I said earlier, you know it.
0: You know what, if you're born again, I don't have to to apologetically try to show you how this is the word of God. If you're born again, you know this is the word of God. I mean, we look at all these exciting truths about Jesus Christ and how he's God. I don't have to convince you that Jesus is God if you're born again. You know he's, 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 he's God. I don't have to prove to you the virgin birth. I mean, I can't prove to you the virgin birth. But I know, I know as much as this is my left hand that Jesus was virgin born because that the Spirit of God attests to that. See, I know that. I know that the, this word is true, that God is real, that Jesus is God, that he's my savior. I know that because I'm born again. And that's why the author gives these warnings here in the book of Hebrews. So that every reader who, who he, you take one step and then you stop and you look and you say, am I there? Do I understand that stuff? Is that stuff real to me? If it's not, then there's a, I have a problem. Warning, warning, danger, danger. I might not be saved. He's not saying you're going to lose your salvation if you're saved. You're going to get unborn again. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying be sure that you're not like these Jewish Christians who called themselves Christians who were adding sacrifice. Can you imagine the blasphemy of going to the sacrificial system and saying I'm going to kill a bull and goat to pay for my sins because God on a cross couldn't do it. You understand how that's trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ? And that's what he's warning us about here in the book of Hebrews. So there are five warnings, and we're going to look at the first warning here today, and that's as far as we'll get. So so, uh, go with me to chapter 2, and I'm just going to read this warning in its totality, and then we'll break it down verse by verse. One of the things you're going to see right here when you read this warning, this is one of the reasons I believe the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, there's a systematic theology in those four verses. Only Paul could put a systematic theology in four verses, and and he could do it. He does it in several places, but here it goes again. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. Now, that almost sounds like, oh, you can drift away and lose your salvation. We'll talk about that in a minute. For if the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received its just reward, how shall we escape? We're talking about eternal hell. How shall we escape hell if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts, of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Whew. Man, Paul, Paul could, or whoever this was, man, could they not write some theology in four verses? You take a breath and then look at what he says. We, right away we see a therefore. And whenever we see a therefore, we ask, what is there for, right? What is it there for? It applies to paying more earnest heed, to giving total attention to what. Preceded the therefore what's the therefore since God is Jesus is all these things that we saw in in Chapter one then we should pay more earnest heed to the things which we've heard In other words if he really is all of these things then You better believe we'd better pay close heed to all of all of what we've heard What did he tell us about Jesus in chapter number one? He told us in verse number one that he's greater than the prophets He told us in verse number 2 that he's heir of all things. He owns all things. He told us in verse number 2 that he made the worlds, the eons, the ages, everything in them. In verse number 3, he told us that he's the radiance of his glory, the brightness of his glory. He's the express image of the Father's person. He's God Almighty. He also told us in, in, I mean, that was in verse 3. In verse number 4, he says he's he's greater than the angels, greater than Michael, greater than Gabriel. Greater than Satan, he's, the, he, he's, he's, he's not a created angel. Because we see in verse number 5, God begot him. You know what, that's the word, word genes. He's the only begotten son. He's the only, his genes are only the genes of God. And he's the only one with the genes of God. In verse number 6, he, the angels worship him. In verse number 7, he made the angels. In verse number 8, his throne is forever and ever. In verse number 12, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and his years will not fail. He's immortal God. Now, if he's all of those things, and he's the one who paid for my sins, he's the one who died on that cross for my salvation, don't you think I ought to pay close heed to that? Don't you think he ought to be Lord of our lives? Don't you think he ought to be the most important thing in our lives? Don't you think it's blasphemy to add anything to the work that he did on that cross for for our righteousness? That's what he's saying right there. Therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. These things the author spoke in chapter 1. Lest we drift away. In other words, look who died for you. I mean, he deserves all our attention. He deserves all our worship. Lest we drift away. Now, if you read that in the English, it almost sounds like you can drift away from your salvation. But that's really a poor translation. Uh, The King James, if you have the King James, I think the translation there is better. Don't let these things slip away. Lest they slip away out of your grasp. You remember when Jesus gave the parable about the sower and the seed in chapter 13 of Matthew? You remember what he said? The sower throws the seed and he throws it down on shallow ground. And who comes along and snatches away that seed? The devil does. And the reason he's able to snatch it away is because you're not holding on to it. And if you're not born again, if you're born again, I guarantee you're holding on to it because it's in you. But if you've heard these things, and you're letting them slip away because you're not, they're not, you're not paying heed to them. They're not important to you. And you, you won't lose your salvation. You'll never get saved. I mean, it's God who died for us. I mean, we need to pay attention to that. And I can throw out that seed right now, and, and you either hang on to that with all everything you've got in your life, and you become born again, or you just you hear it and you walk away. And yeah, I know about Jesus Christ, and yeah, I go to church, and yeah, I'm a I'm a Calvary Chapel guy, or I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm something, and and I'm going to be in heaven one day. That's the warning. No, you're not. Because if you don't take this stuff and bring it and make it important to you and bring it into your heart
1: and get saved, you're going to die a lost person, and you're going to be in hell. Then in verses two and three, he says, "For the word spoken." Through angels proved steadfast.
0: What was the word spoken through angels? What was the word spoken through angels? Now, come on, y'all know. What, who gave the law? Where did Moses get the law? From angels. That was the word spoken through angels. Up on Mount Sinai, Moses received the law from angels. So he says, for it, for the, if the word spoken through angels, the law proved steadfast. Believe me, it's proved steadfast. And every transgression and every disobedience receive just reward. Just punishment is a better translation. What's the punishment of sin? The wages of sin is death. And it's always been that way. And it always will be that way. How shall we escape eternal death, hell, if we neglect so great a salvation, God on a cross? which in the first began to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Let's break that down a little bit. Again, the word spoken through the angels is the law. Has it proved steadfast? You better believe it's proved steadfast. I mean, the law was around in Moses' day. The law was around in Jesus' day. The law was around in Paul's day. The law is still around in our day. What did Jesus say about the law? He said, not one yod, that's a little mark, a Hebrew mark, not one tittle, another little Hebrew mark, will pass away from this law until heaven and earth pass away. In other words, the law is going to be around. What's the law do? It condemns. Friends, if you are not born again, you are living under law. You are condemned to hell. You are in enmity with God. You're an enemy of God. That's not a good position to be in. And so, for if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, which is dead, and every transgression and disobedience received just reward. What's the just
1: reward? Eternal death. The wages of sin is death. If you're under law, every sin you commit is punishable by death.
0: Well, I keep most of the law. What's James have to say about that? In James chapter 2, if you keep the whole law and yet violate one of its its principles, you've violated the whole law, the entire law. So you're guilty. You're under a death sentence. And so how can we escape if we don't grasp, grab a hold of everything we've got of this great salvation that God himself died for us on a cross? How can we escape? That's, that's the only way you can be saved. So how can you escape? And then he calls this, he's, again, he hadn't taken a breath here, but he calls this, this gospel which first began to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard it. When did the Lord first speak the gospel? Here's a little trick theological question for you. When did he first speak the gospel? John 3, 16? Maybe, for God so loved the world, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. Was that the first time he spoke it? Well, over in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're told that all the truths about the gospel were given to the prophets by the spirit of Jesus Christ. I mean, so in Jeremiah chapter 31 when we're given when we're told about this new covenant, I will make a new covenant with Israel. Thus saith the Lord. I will write my laws on their hearts and on their minds and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's the new covenant. Who was speaking that to Jeremiah? Jesus was speaking that to Jeremiah. I mean, Jesus, the gospel was a plan laid before the foundation of the world. Look look at Hebrews chapter look at Hebrews chapter 4. Let me see if I can
1: find this. I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here. Somebody help me. I'm looking for the word gospel. Verse 2.
0: Look at this. He's speaking of the the Israelites in the wilderness. Thank you, chap. In verse number 2, he says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Did you know that the gospel was preached to the Israelites when they were wandering around in the wilderness? Let me tell you what. Whenever you have law, you better have a gospel. And they were given the law. And what was the gospel? What was the gospel they were given? They were given a shadow of the gospel in the sacrificial system that somehow sin had to be paid for. And it had to be paid for with a life because the life is in the blood. So it required blood. But, you know, I believe they were preaching the gospel because who was it that followed them around those 40 years? Jesus himself, the angel of the Lord. He was right there with them. And so they were told, given the gospel. So the gospel was preached way back then, and then, and then as, as the author says here, uh, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. He was confirmed to the apostles. And it's all, you know, you can find the gospel all throughout Uh, the Gospels and throughout the New Testament, and you can find it in the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. There's nothing new. Then the last verse, he says something else. Very important verse. You know what? You can hear the Gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. There is power in the Gospel. So you can hear the Gospel and there will be power in that. But once you hear that gospel and that power kind of penetrates you and you receive that gospel, God gives you more, more power. He gives you his Holy Spirit. It's not just words. God also bore witness to the, to the gospel through signs and wonders. Those things that Jesus did in, in uh, the gospels, the things that Paul and the, the apostles did in the book of Acts. I mean, God confirmed the gospel by signs and wonders and miracles. You know what? He still does that today. If you're a born-again believer, you're going to see God working in your life miraculously all the time if you'll pay attention. If you don't just take it for granted, if you look around, you'll see God working in your life. You'll see him doing signs and wonders. You'll hear a word of prophecy. You might speak in tongues. You might, you know, whatever the miracle might be, you're going to hear from God if you're a born-again believer. It's not just about a gospel written on On red print or black print, it's God bears witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and also the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Really, I would say the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the greatest witness to the gospel as far as I'm concerned. Paul says over in Ephesians chapter 2, having believed, having put all of your trust in this great salvation that Jesus Christ has procured for you. Having believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God for eternity. For eternity. He doesn't take his spirit back. Forever, it says. You were given that spirit. He's not an Indian giver. If you make it to the point, now, you can taste of the spirit, you can hear this word, and if you don't grasp it with everything you've got, it'll be snatched away. But if you receive it and you take it to heart and it becomes the most important thing in your life, then you're going to receive the Spirit of God forever. You'll never lose the Spirit of God. Even David, remember what it said about David when he was anointed and the Spirit of God came upon him from that time forth? When David was messing around with Bathsheba and he killed Uriah, did he lose the Spirit of God? No. It's amazing God sticks around any of us. And I wonder why he doesn't just leave me and forsake me. All the time. Lord, why do you stay with somebody as wretched as I am? But he never, if you receive Christ, if you grasp these things and you really bring him into your heart, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Never. God bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and the gift of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. What's his own will? He doesn't doesn't do miracles for show. He doesn't do signs for show. He doesn't give his Holy Spirit to somebody who's going to one day walk away. He does it according to his own will, according to his own, those who are his own. If you're his own, he loves you so much that he gives you his life. He gave you his life on a cross, and he gives you his life in your spirit. Can it get any better than that? You see why there's such a dire warning here? I mean, if you're missing that, you're missing the whole thing. There's
1: no in-between. If you know about Christ and don't know Christ, you're missing the whole thing. So there's warnings. Warnings. Throughout
0: the Bible, we'll stop there today. We'll see four more of these warnings. There's warnings throughout life. And I'm not here to, those of you who are born again, I'm not trying to scare you into not believing you have salvation because you know you have salvation. But if you're riding the fence today, if you, if you don't, if you're playing around with these truths. You're neglecting such a great salvation. God on a cross dying for you. Warning, warning. There will come a time when it's too late. And I don't care what church you went to or how many times you were baptized or how many good deeds you did. You're going to stand before God at the white throne judgment seat and you're going to be sentenced to hell. I told the crowd Wednesday night that if if you wake up after you die and you're standing before Christ at the white throne, own judgment seat, kiss yourself goodbye because you're, you're toast, eternal toast. You're going to be toasted for the rest of your life. That's, that's not a good place to be. Most of you in this room, if you're old enough like Rhonda to remember uh, <laughs> the robot in Lost in Space, you probably remember the nuclear disaster that took place in northern Ukraine at the Chernobyl plant. How many of y'all, y'all remember, most, most of y'all remember that? You know what's interesting about that disaster, the accident was a result of an experiment. The two engineers were engineers, you know engineers how they are. Uh, we don't have any engineers so I can pick on them a little bit. But they were conducting an, ex- an experiment and what they were trying to do, they were trying to see if once they cut the power off the turbines that cooled the nuclear reactors, once they cut the power off, how long they would spin, keep spinning enough to cool the nuclear reactors. They wanted to see just how, how much they could push those things if they were to lose power. And so, in order to conduct their experiment, they had to override six separate computer-driven alarm warnings in, or, or systems. And every time they one of those alarms went off. It said, warning, warning, stop, dangerous, go no further. But rather than stopping their experiment, they shut off each alarm and kept right on going until that reactor, those reactors heated up and we had the greatest industrial accident of all time. Thousands of people died as a result of what happened at Chernobyl. A a city of 55,000 people became a virtual ghost town. And there was nuclear fallout all over the world. Every place in the world measured nuclear fallout as a result of that disaster. You know, as scary as that is, these warnings in Hebrews are much scarier. Because worse than a nuclear disaster is a disa- eternal disaster of your soul. A disaster where, where, where you find yourself at that great white throne judgment seat. And the book of Hebrews and the Bible is full of warnings. Warning, warning, stop, go no further. i means stop and look at what Christ has done for you. Pay heed to what he's done to you. Don't let those truths
1: slip away. Don't ever let those truths slip away. Man, if you neglect so great a salvation as God hanging on a cross, there's no hope. There's no hope.
0: You're not going to make it on your good works. You're not going to make it on your religion.
1: Only the blood of Christ
0: makes us righteous.
1: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for what you've done for us, who you are. The creator of angels. The creator of the universe. The great I am. You've always been, you always will be.
0: The express image of the father, person. You're the father in person in
1: flesh, and you emptied yourself of all of that glory and became a little baby in Bethlehem to grow up and hang on a cross for our sins. Lord, I ask you to help everyone in
0: this room to grasp that truth. There's someone in this room that doesn't know you as their Savior. It's time to quit toying around with these great truths, Lord. I just ask that you touch their hearts today, and today be the day that they finally say, hey, I'm going to pay heed to this salvation that you've procured for me. God procured for me.
1: Father, I just ask you to to bless everyone in this room who is
0: saved with the assurance that we've been given your spirit, that our sins have been washed away, and, Lord, that we'll live with you forever in glory. We, we just thank you for all you've done for us through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.